Hi everyone, my name is Steve Tudor and welcome to the Premier League show. It's a show that failed to get the best out of Calvin Phillips. On today's pod we're discussing the top flight newbies and their inability to secure a precious win. We'll also be heading to Stamford Bridge to try and make sense out of a confounding crisis. Lastly, we're heading around the grounds as always, ahead of another intriguing, enthralling weekend of Premier League action. To discuss all this, I'm delighted to be joined today by an author, a journalist and an all-round top guy in the form of Ryan Baldy. Hi Ryan, you there? You well? Hi Stan, I'm all good, thank you. How are you? I'm really good, thanks mate. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, never a fan of this type of time of year, you know, it starts to get a bit dark. But uh, I'm doing all right this year. I think in previous years I've had a touch of that sad. Um, I need to get used to seasons um, and it is starting to get dark, isn't it, in the evenings? Yeah, it's, it's creeping in, isn't it? The summer's been and gone without mm. really giving as much, yeah. So you, you go for daily runs, is it, in the morning, is it? Yeah, um, yeah. the, the days that my, my littlest one goes to nursery, I do a, do a run in the morning and try and bash that out before I start my work. So, yeah, just just back from that now, so I'm sweating into my, into my chair. So you don't normally, you're not running in the dark, as it were, then, over the winter months? I have been a little bit. If I, if I do a little top up run during the week, I'll go out and go up. But yeah, um, it's 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 not as it's not as fun. Well, not yeah. as fun anyway. Yeah. But it's <laughs> it's harder to get up and get out when it's when I, it's that dark. I bet absolutely. And um, before we start, we should say that you've got a book coming out next week, and um, a book that is absolutely inappropriate for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but. Um, for any Manchester United relatives out there, it's a perfect crimbo prezi. So, would you care to say what what the book is and what it's about? Yeah, so it's called "They Always Score." Uh, the um, I forgot exactly what the uh, the tagline is. The unforgettable, improbable, iconic story of Manchester United's <laughs> treble winners. So, yeah, it's all about the '99 treble. Um, I spent about three years working on it, speaking to. A lot of the players from that team, a lot of the big names. I've got a, a Dwight York did a forward for me. Nicky Butt did an afterward. And I spoke to a lot of the players, but also a lot of opponents. I spoke to people like Marcello Lippi for this book. I spoke wow. to um, Otmar Hitzfeld. Um, yes, yeah, so dozens and dozens of opponents' perspectives on what it was like to play against that team. Um, and then you know all the backroom staff to get the details and the stories that haven't been told. Because obviously it's quite a well-known story, even for for City fans and, and fans of, of mm. other sides apart from United. But um, I think I've managed to get some details in there and some stories and anecdotes um, that that haven't previously been told and and hopefully fresh perspective on on ones that have. Um, mm. So yeah, it's not it's not um, too well aligned with this podcast, but I'm sure um, if for, for the United fan in your life, um, <clears throat> it'd make a pretty good Christmas present. That comes and out fifth uh, of October. Right. Well, I've seen that the cover you put it up on um, on Twitter. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I've got a United supporting dad, loves reading books, so count me in. And um, what was Dwight York like doing the forward? Did you deal with him personally or was that the publisher? Yeah, no, I did I dealt with him myself. It was, it was uh, yeah, I reached out to him to interview, for interview first, ended up interviewing a couple of times and then, um, yeah, uh, just messaged back and forth with him a bit and uh, he agreed to the forward. Because I've got to say, I, I you know, my former job, I mean, I still do it now, but much less so. Uh, I used to interview you know, ex-players quite a lot, uh, and a lot of them would be United. And every time it'd be like, you know, oh, I've got to interview so and so on Tuesday. Can't stand him because he's United. Obviously, I'm City. Um, most of them would really su- pleasantly surprise me. And Dwight York was definitely amongst the, that category. He was funny. He was decent. He was he was just really good to get on with. Um, yeah. Did you find he's the quite, same? He's, 
he's quite brutally honest as well. <laughs> yes, um, yes. He doesn't mind. He doesn't mince his words. So um, yeah, he's, he's, he's great. Uh, he's great fodder for for something like this. You know, you know, providing the the real kind of um, story of how it was rather than any kind of uh, sanitized view. He, he gives it like it is. So yeah, I always appreciate that as an interviewer. Well, I've, I've said on the pod before, actually, that I would ask a question and he is the only person I think I've, I've ever interviewed who would reply with the question in the answer, which is perfect because, mm. let's face it, you know, the, the people I was, I was working for, they'd send it off to the newspapers and they'd try and make the back pages. And so if I asked, let's say I asked Gary Pallister, is Van Hall fit for purpose at United? He'd say, I think so. Or, or even if he said no, it, you'd just get a no. But you couldn't mm. then say that he'd said that because I'd said that. Yeah. Whereas Dwight York, there was one occasion, just one of hundreds of occasions, where I'd say something like, um, is, is Jose, Jose Mourinho a disgrace? And he'd go, I think Jose Mourinho is a disgrace, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he was a, an editor or a journalist in a previous life or something. Like. It was perfect. I loved him for that. <laughs> I mean, the amount of back pages I got from that. And, and there was one memorable one as well where he, um, I was supposed to interview him at midday, or let's say. And he said, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm in the VIP bit at United today, kind of meet and greets. Um, can, we, can we rearrange it for five o'clock? Now, at five o'clock, I suspect, and it's only my suspicion, He'd had one or two red wines by then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what an interview that was! That was brilliant. <laughs> but no, yeah, that must have been a good one. He was, he was, he was always good company. Fair dues. Um, I have to say, he surprised me. Um, do you want me to name the United fa- players who I wasn't such a fan of? <laughs> Go on, then, let's have it. Um, nice guy, but Lee Sharp always right, okay. kept me waiting. Always right, messed me right. around. I mean, days on end, he was messed me around. Um. Teddy Sheringham, I've done twice. The second time, he was charm personified. First time, he was manager of Stevenage. Can you remember he had a new spell as manager of Stevenage? Right, okay, he was feeling the strain of it, wasn't he? Yeah, and oh, that was the worst interview I've ever done. And oh, wow. I had an anniversary meal booked, and I had to cancel because he kept on kind of, it's, basically, he'd answer the phone and say, we'll do it later, and it was hanging up on me. Oh, wow. Um, and this went out throughout the day, so in the end, I had to cancel my anniversary meal. And the interview was a disaster, and it was, oh, he just wasn't very pleasant at all. But oh, that's not good. No. Yeah, I spoke to Teddy for my work, and I, I must have caught him on a good day because it was pretty good. He speaks he fast, like he has very yeah. clear thoughts, and he gives you them quickly. So I think he wants, you know, he wants to kind of fire through these interviews when he gets them, but he does give you good stuff. So I was, mm. I was happy with that. And Gary Pallister was lovely. Really, I had a yeah. really unusual situation with Gary Pallister where an external company needed an exact quote, which is ridiculous. I mean, <laughs> but we needed him to say, and I, I, again, I may have, I, I'm very likely got this wrong in, in terms of the player, but let's say it was Wes Brown, and it was Wes Brown can captain England one day. Let's say it was, it was something very close to that. And I asked him this, and he answered it very articulately, and, you know, it was a, a decent answer, but he never actually said that he could captain England one day. And this company then said, no, we need him to say it. <laughs> So I had, I had to phone Gary Pallister back and say, Gary, I need you to say. <laughs> and he was like, but I don't think he will. <laughs> and I said, yeah, but I, I just get a lot of pressure on, on you know, these guys to, for you to say it. And, and so he went, okay, where's <laughs> Brown, Captain Eclipse? <laughs> he did you a solid day, though. Oh, he did, yeah, yeah, but 
that's how ludicrous it can get sometimes. Yeah, I suppose Gary too. He was a good one for me because um, he just left United at the point of the treble season. So I got to speak to him about what it was like to play with a lot of the players, but also what it was like to come back to Old Trafford and play against them. And actually, they were the last team to beat United on, in the treble season with Middlesbrough. So, right. Yeah, he was a really uh, a good one to be able to, to give his perspective in the book too. It was, it was, I remember him being good. And I mean, I've got to be honest, whether it's United and I've interviewed, I've been very fortunate enough to interview City players, you know, people I love as well, Shawnee Wright Phillips and, and etc. All I care about is if they're on time. <laughs> if they're on time, that's all, that's all that matters. Helps, I mean, yeah. you you did something like 300, was it 300 interviews you did for this book? I don't know exactly how many, but it's over 200, yeah. And you must have been, and I'm not asking you to name names, but you must have been messed around left, right and centre to get that amount of interviews. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. I mean, um, uh, I mentioned I spoke to Marcello Lippi. He was one that I spent months trying to pin down and he mm. was away in South America or something at first and I was, I was messaging with him and when I eventually got him, it's actually quite a funny story. I put it in the book. I managed to really quite annoy him <laughs> to the point he <laughs> he, uh, he ended the interview early because of uh, some of the, my questioning. So, uh yeah, that's all in there as well. But it was basically, um, I was asking him about his Juventus team um, of the mid-90s and how, because Ferguson always really looked up to Lippi and he regarded him and his Juve side as the kind of benchmark in Europe and they were always bumping up against them. They always seemed to be drawn against them in the mm. Champions League. And for, for the first few meetings, they struggled. And then around sort of 97, 98 time, they started to do a little bit better against uh, against Lippi's um Juve so I was asking Lippi about that so I gave him and his team a lot of praise and said you know and I said Ferguson considered you guys the benchmark and the measuring stick for what was considered the the, the gold standard in, in Europe at the time uh, I said like did you get the impression that um, they were starting to get on your level starting to compete and he was like no my, my, my Juve were the best nobody competed with us we, we, we were the top team wow and then he's like right arrivederci bye phone quick go <laughs> It was all through an interpreter as well, so my interpreter was like, okay. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, I would love Lippy to say a Rivadichi to me. I really would. That would just be a, a life moment. It was a career high, I'm sure, yeah. No, no <laughs> yes. um, let's turn our attentions to the Premier League. And the one thing I, I wanted to start with today um, is the odd fact. And, and I've been meaning to kind of delve deep into this. And I will do it in the next couple of days to see how unprecedented it is. But the three promoted clubs at this point have yet to win a game. And we're kind of six games deep. Um, mm. Although it should be said that, let me check here, uh, Burnley and Luton only play five games. Is this just a quirk, do you think, Ryan? Or does this tell of a bigger story? I mean, we're always told about how, you know, the gap between the Premier League and the Championship <laughs> is getting wider and wider. Does, does it kind of lean into that in a way? I think it does. I think, I think there's there's a temptation to kind of go too far on on either way on that on that question. Whereas the truth, as usual, is somewhere in the middle. But I, I do think mm. it does kind of paint a picture of of the disparity between the Premier League and the Championship. Um, but I think, yeah, I think this is a, a. I thought from the moment they all came up without wanting to disrespect the teams yeah. too much. I thought it was a kind of a weak crop of promoted teams, um, and I thought they would struggle. Um, I thought obviously Burnley are the standouts. They won the championship. They've got some really exciting young players there, and a, an exciting manager and, and company who looks um, who's looking the part. And I think um, of the three, those are the ones I uh, would expect to turn it around somewhat and be competitive. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think it does kind of allude to allude to the gap between. Um, it's, it's 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 a purely financial thing, isn't it? You either risk it all, 
and spend big to try and stay up or you kind of take a slightly more sensible approach whereby if you if you you know give it your all and, and, and miss out you go back down with the with the infrastructure to, to go again and come back stronger um so i think it's uh it's a kind of a, a calculation you have to make as a promoted club um and i think it's getting probably more and more difficult to, to make that calculation because if you do go all out and, and you miss um mm. you, know, you can quite quite quickly tumble down the leagues um when uh when it comes time to pay the pay, pay the piper down the line yeah i think luton in particular well and sheffield united but luton in particular are doing it the sensible way and almost like they're saying okay this is a free hit yeah if we finish fourth from bottom superb and then we'll we'll build from there but otherwise we'll just try and enjoy this season but it's hardly enjoyable if you're getting spanked every week i, I have to say though they seem to be kind of getting getting a hold on things i mean two of the three goals have been penalties so that doesn't bode well um but in terms of defensively we seem to be tightening up a little bit and um, they've got some good bloody players back there as well i should say um burnley their attacking options are really good i would say and, and if they do click they've got goals in them simplistically put with burnley they were really hemorrhaging goals from the, from the get-go weren't they but the last mm. two games they've conceded just one apiece so i know maybe that's just again a quirk and nothing to be read into that but it does suggest that they too are tightening things up at the back I completely agree I think of the three it's Burnley who have every chance of staying up because if it works if it all gels then we saw last season you know what that can produce and you wouldn't expect that level of course in the Premier League but that'd be more than enough to kind of pull clear I would say which let's hope we do anyway because obviously with Vinnie Company at the helm you know he's someone we all want to do well City fans um changing tack somewhat but every week at the moment there's conversations about refereeing errors and decisions going against sides match of a day just half of match of a day or certainly as regards to the the punditry just looks at refereeing kind of debates i thought var was going to eradicate this or certainly lessen it um i thought that it would be var getting a scrutiny and no longer the individuals in the middle of the pitch it's not the case, though, is it? No, it's the opposite. Because I think what VAR has done is is raised expectations for yeah. the level of, of refereeing, and I think the game just isn't meant to be scrutinised with that level of detail. Um, I don't think the laws are made to be applied with that level of of scrutiny and and to the millimetre precision. Um, so when inconsistencies arise, now we're looking at them several times as they happen with with VAR and with um, TV replays, and then. You know, games are going longer as well now, and and there is um you know, late drama going on that's getting scrutinised again. There's just there's just so many incidents that are being replayed to death, and it becomes the biggest talking point. And it's it's thoroughly boring, isn't it? You know, we want to be talking about the football. I think um, I was broadly in favour of VAR when it when it first was introduced, and I thought it would be a good thing. Um, but um, over time and, and fairly quickly, to be honest, I've come to the opinion that it's just unworkable and i don't think the laws of the game are like i said um designed to be um applied with such such minute precision i think um in an ideal world i think we all just learn to accept um human error and that yeah. mistakes will happen and that over the course of a season or several seasons you know it, it evens out to a degree and we all just move on. You know, it's a 90 minute game. If, if, if one incident has, has swung it, um, you know, there are other things that your, your team could have done to, to prevent those incidents or to go and make up for them later down the line. It's not, 
doesn't all come down to that one mistake, but it's what we focus on because it's uh, it's an easy target, the man in the middle. Um, I think, you know, in, like I said, in an ideal world, we'd all kind of be grown-ups about it and, and and accept it as part of the game, as part of the reality of, of football. But um, we, 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 we were never very good at that as a, as a footballing public. And um, it's landed us with VAR. And like I said, I, I don't think it's a workable thing, but I don't think it's going anywhere either. Thanks for listening to the first 15 minutes of the show. To listen to the full podcast and all our content, including reviews, previews, analysis, quizzes and much more, go to 9320.com to sign up now or simply click the link in the description. So what are you waiting for? Go to 9320.com now for the best, most passionate, impartial coverage of Manchester City and beyond.